be upon us as we let your word inspect us, as we open up your word. I pray, Almighty God, that you would grant me the grace I need to bring your word to your people plainly in a way that can be understood without human adornment, but with the power of the Spirit. And grant my brothers and sisters the grace that they need to hear your word and by your Spirit to put these things into action. We ask this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. It's impossible for God to lie. God himself, by definition, is truth. He is honest. The book of Hebrews tells us that God cannot lie. It's impossible. In the book of Numbers, chapter 23, God himself says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? All of us are created in the image of God. And if God is honest, if God is truthful, then we as his image bearers must be truthful and honest as well. Furthermore, those of us who are Christians, who are being recreated and who have been recreated in the image of Christ, how much more should we be honest? How much more should we be truthful? How much more should our lives show the honesty that is found in God himself? As Christians, we must glorify God by our honesty. As Christians, we must glorify God because he demands honesty. And honesty is a powerful, powerful tool. It always has been. It's easy for us to lament the dishonesty and the contract breaking and the uh, silly foolishness that we see in our society. But you know what? There is nothing new under the sun. People have always broken their word. People have always done shady deals with contract. People have always, but always, taken oaths and vows and broken them. If that wasn't the case, then there wouldn't be laws in the Old Covenant and Christ wouldn't have to hear, give an amplification of, and a true interpretation of those laws in the Old Covenant. I can't emphasize enough that the more things change, the more they stay the same. We have air conditioning, we have technology, but the human heart is still the same. Without the light of Christ in it, the human heart is a deep, dark, nasty well. It's just that simple. If that sounds bleak, oh well, that's what the word says. But with the light of Christ, we are given a new heart. We are given a new birth. We become new creations. And as such, that light of Christ should flow from us. Now, what happens in the Christian life, it's rather like a door that's letting in sunlight. Sometimes the door is open or blind, if you prefer that uh, image. Sometimes the blind is wide open and the light comes blasting through and at other times it's drawn closed and the sun is blocked. We have to understand that in that metaphor, the light is always shining. It's the blind of our life or the door of our life or the window of our life, whatever metaphor you like. That's what gets dusty. That's what gets dirty. That's what blocks out the light. We do. The light is always shining. It's always there and available for us. And as a Christian, you always have the light of God, not only within you, but you have access to the power of the Spirit. For a Christian, there is never any excuse to be biblically dishonest or to be biblically untruthful. There never is. But, alas, 
We all know too well that we have a problem with this. The third commandment states this. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The Lord shall not hold anyone guiltless who taketh his name in vain. What does the ninth commandment say? Thou shalt not bear false testimony against thy neighbor. Now, at first blush, those are pretty straightforward. Their initial application is fairly easy to understand. But, obviously, Christ feels a need to correct our view of those commandments because here again, he's in these verses, he's opening up God's law and showing us the true meaning of it. And he wouldn't have to do that if we didn't break our oaths, if we didn't break our vows. If we were honest and truthful, he wouldn't need to correct us. We circumvent God's law. We find clever ways to get out of it. We search far and wide to find ways to avoid God's law and to avoid the penalty for breaking his law. And it's a futile process. Our old friends, the Pharisees, came up with some extremely ingenious ways to avoid violating the third and ninth commandments. And if you really want to know how to break God's law, the Pharisees are the perfect tutors because they were the experts in the law. So if you want to know how to get around the law, you need a, a lawyer. And frankly, um, if, if you're an attorney, that's not a knock. I wanted to be an attorney for many years. God saved the world from me being an attorney. But we break God's law. We're not truthful. We're not honest. We violate our vows. We violate our oaths. We make promises and we don't keep them. And they are all violations of those commandments. It's just that simple. And that's really tragic when you think about it because God doesn't do that to us. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want to break God's law with impunity and not incur the punishment that comes from breaking the law. We want to speed and not get caught. And if we speed and get caught, we want the state trooper to cut us some slack. Actually, it's worse than that. We want the state trooper to pay the fine. And we want the state trooper to slip us an extra hundred. Hey, pay me for my time here. You're wasting my time. I have places to go. We're dishonest. When's the last time you tried to do an end run around the third or the ninth commandments. Maybe you haven't really thought about it that much. But you are dishonest. So am I. None of us keep our word completely or perfectly. It's just that simple. We leave things undone that should be done, and we do things that should not be done, and we make crazy boasts. In fact, many Christians, there are some Christians, frankly, who could give a high-powered law firm filled to the brim with $500 an hour attorneys, there are some Christians who could give them a run for their money in the honesty department. I remember one time talking to a um, German businessman who was in the classical music industry. Through Dan's cousin, Matthias Lutzweiler, Ben Stuttgart. And we were talking, I was talking, hey, what's the difference between Americans and Germans? You know, look kind of the same. You know, what's the business climate between the two of you? And he said, well, 
Honestly, Americans, your country is so big. It's just big. It's gigantic. You don't realize how big it is. And you make big claims. He said, so truthfully, most of us understand that if the company says this will sell 100,000 units, we know that really that means 75. And we just, we just take it at face value and do the subtraction. I said, oh, that's okay, I could understand that. I said, no, what about the Christian music industry? I said, you know, what's your involvement with that? How does that work? And he said, honestly. I said, yes, I'd like to honestly know. He said, honestly, they're worse. They're worse. That's a tragedy. That should break our hearts. That we make boasts that we can't keep. I remember one time when I was young car. Well, I was always young when I was selling cars. I was 22. I was new. And I was a new Christian as well. I was about six months old as a Christian. And I was here selling all these Toyotas, making money hand over fist. Money like I'd never seen ever in my life. And at the beginning, I was a very good witness. I told a Jewish boss of mine, I don't sell these cars. Jesus does. And he said, I don't really care who's selling them. Just keep making them roll off the lot or you and I aren't going to be friends for very long. I got into a jam. Well, you always get into a jam with these customers. I got into a jam and the manager said, well, did Kevin really promise that? I think it was carpet mats. We had the saying at Gateway Toyota, we don't give anything away. I might buy you a Coke, and that's it. Did Ke- it was, it was carpet mats, floor mats. Did Kevin really say he was going to throw those in? And the customer said, yes, he did. I'm sitting there sweating because I realized I did say that. And my boss said these blood-chilling words. Where is it in writing? If it's not in writing, Kevin didn't say it. If you like, we can sell you the floor covers. As a new Christian, I have to tell you, I felt acutely uncomfortable in that encounter. Because I realized that I had said something. But that old man said, my commission on this is about 200 bucks. If I do the right thing and buy the guy the carpet mats, there goes my commission. I just worked four hours for free. It's not that big of a deal. It's just carpet mats. And that's how it is with honesty. You break one, what we think is one small promise, and they mushroom. To the point where I sadly say a year and a half later, when I finally was done with the business, I was so jaded. I was just like everybody else. I just expected everybody to lie. And when you're selling a new Toyota, you don't really have to lie about the car. You do lie about the price. There actually is a manager in the back room who has to okay the deal, believe it or not. But you lie. You know that you're going to be able to sell the car at price X and you tell them that's never going to happen. But if I could get there, you'd buy the car, wouldn't you? Yes. I said, okay, I'll do what I can. And the game begins, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And finally you say, I had to work hard, but I got you there. I got you there. All the while you knew you were going to get there with extra space. Didn't lie about the car, but we lied about the price. How does it go with you? What little white lies do you tell in your life? 
I'm thinking if you're a car salesman, something wrong with being a car salesman. What little lies do you tell? Little promises. Do you realize that everything you say, that if you're going to do it or not do it, that's an oath. I'll be there at 1030. Now, if you're providentially hindered and there's an accident or stuff, okay, fine. But if you just don't get there, that's, you're violating an oath. It's a little thing, but it is a violation of God's law. Oh, well, you forfeited your life. It's over. You need a Savior. Because Jesus always kept his word. Jesus always kept his word. We try and get out of God's law. But you know what? What Jesus is doing in this passage is he's putting us on notice. He's making us realize that God notices. That every little oath, every little promise, every little vow that we make and do not keep, that God is recording and notating every single one of them. Yes, he does have a little black book. It's actually very big. It's in his mind. What Jesus is pointing out here is that you can't escape God because, you see, what the Pharisees had done, our old friends, is they had come up with this theology of oaths. They had a whole system of getting out of things. It's not very hard to understand. Like my old boss said, if, Kevin, if it's not in writing, Kevin didn't say it. It didn't happen. You're dreaming. And what the Pharisees said is, you can make an oath, you can make a vow, even to a fellow Israelite, even to a fellow Pharisee. If you don't use the name of Yahweh, if you don't use the covenantal name, you're covered. You're covered. You swear by anything else, you can break the oath. That's what this is about right here. It strikes us as odd, doesn't it? Jesus is quoting Old Testament law. Actually, what he's doing is he's, he's summarizing a number of Old Testament commands. When he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. He's summarizing a number of Old Testament case laws. They were supposed to do this. And then he says, but I say to you, do not swear at all. Not by heaven. Why? Because it's God's throne. Not by the earth, for it's his footstool. Nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. It's his special city. And don't swear by your head because you cannot make one hair white or black. Now that's changed. We can make our hair different colors today. The point of this passage is, you know what? Even if you don't use God's covenantal name, he's there. Heaven and earth. Who created them? God did. Who established Jerusalem as a special, prophetically significant city? God did. Who numbers the hairs on your head? God does. What does Job say? Curse the day I was born. Who decided when you were conceived and when you were born? God did. No matter where you go, no matter what technical words you use in a promise, you can't escape God. God is everywhere. He's omniscient. He's infinite not escape him, nor should we want to. There's two parts to this. One is scary. It's scary knowing, hmm, I can fool everybody. I can fool myself, but I can never fool him because he's always there. And that's scary. That should make us tremble. 
But there's great comfort in it as well. That wherever we go, particularly as Christians, God's power is there for us to obey the law, to do the honest and right thing. We have that access to him. It's not as if the power is somehow shut off. And there's never a power surge where there's too much power. It's just the perfect amount of power we need at each particular opportunity. It's there for us. But we just run through life so fast that we just forget about that. How does it go with you today? When's the last time you swore by your head? Now, we don't do this. We don't do this. We don't use these forms anymore. But we say other things, don't we? I promise. I promise. Okay? A promise, vow, oath. The terms are co-referential. They all point to the same thing. Even a little thing. I promise we'll go out for ice cream. You don't do it. Hmm? If we make a promise to our children, parents, and we don't perform it, we need to confess that sin to our children. We do. We don't need to say, I'm sorry. We don't need to say, I made a mistake. We need to say, you know what? I am sorry, but I sinned. I promised you something, and I violated that third commandment. And I violated the ninth commandment. And when I violate those, I automatically violate the first one. So I nailed three out of ten right there, kiddo. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? That's how you raise your children. You teach them that you've broken the law of God and that God takes that seriously, even if it's just going to Dairy Queen. Now again, if something happens, someone has to go to a hospital or something like that, it's an entirely different kettle of fish. But if you just can't be bothered to get in the car and go, or you just forgot, or you didn't really mean it when you said it, if you just said it to get them out of the room, well, then that is a nasty bowl of soup. And we need to teach our children, our grandchildren, and ourselves the value and importance of honesty. We need to glorify God through an honest life. And this doesn't just go for what we say. It has primary significance for what we say. But there's implications to all of our actions as well. They have to be honest. They have to be truthful. They have to be faithful. Because they reflect the glory of God. See, the Jews just said, hey, don't use his name formally and you're absolutely covered. Now, that is absolutely sick. We have to remember who the Pharisees were. They were the authoritative teachers. They were the ruling elders and teaching elders of the Old Covenant Church. And not only were they not teaching the law properly, they were showing themselves and the others how to get around it. Did you imagine how... This is, this is the only way to, to view it. If I were to stand here in this pulpit and tell you ways to get out of obeying God's law and give you what I think is a surefire way to circumvent the punishment of breaking that law, that's what the Pharisees were doing. Do you realize how nuts that is? How crazy that is. But before we are too judgmental on them, let us realize that we follow that train of insanity pretty well. We may not do it formally, but we do it. We take church vows. 
and we do not fulfill them. All of us, ruling elders, take extra vows and they don't fulfill them. Pastors take extra, extra vows and we don't fulfill them. That's why we need to confess our sins. I left at the deacons. The deacons take vows too. We don't do it. We take marriage vows. And we break them in little ways. We make promises to our employer. It's a tacit agreement. I'll pay you X amount of dollars and the workday is 9 to 5. And you get an hour lunch break. Make it 9 to 6. Take 65 minutes for lunch. You broke your word. You'd be upset if he didn't pay you for an hour, wouldn't you? Have you ever had a job where you punched the clock and you realize, hey, it's not matching up here. What do you do? You go right to the office. It's not jiving. You owe me money. How many of us have done the opposite? Gone to the boss and said, you know what? I added it up and I slacked off for properly maybe two or three hours through the whole week. So here's, here's payment back for three of those hours. Uh, those of you who are employers know that that doesn't happen. <laughs> it just doesn't occur. That's how the world works. We cheat each other. We tell little white lies to one another and we think that nobody notices. But if we're honest with ourselves and we are brave enough to look in the mirror, we will realize that we do this all the time. But this is one of those little sins that we easily gloss over, but God isn't glossing over anything. Now, at first, it might seem that Jesus is just eliminating oaths at all. This is where the Amish and other various sects get their doctrine of not taking lawful oaths. But that's not the case. It's not the case. God himself takes oaths. God himself takes oaths. He promised to the entire creation, saved and unsaved, after the flood, that he would never destroy the earth by flood again. Now, when God makes a promise, it really is an oath. It's a vow. And it's done by him in his name. So he's really swearing by, him, by his own name. That's a surefire promise. He gives us a sign, the rainbow. It's cute. There's a leprechaun at the end of the rainbow. No, no, no. The rainbow is a sign. God puts that rainbow there to promise that he will never destroy the earth by a flood. He will destroy it by fire someday, but not by water. God promised to Abraham, though he was way past the age of expiration for these type of things, he promised him that he would have a son. And that through that son, Isaac, he would make Abraham's descendants like the stars in the sky, sand on the seashore. God made that promise and he's kept it. If you're a Christian, the book of Galatians says that you're Abraham's seed. God made a promise to David before David blew it that he would have a son and that God would establish David's throne and that someone would always be on David's throne. Now, David's been gone a long time. The Jews haven't had a king for a long time. They haven't had a good king in a long, long time. Promise broken? No. 
No. Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. So you see, if God makes promises, if God takes oaths, then Jesus, as the second person of the Godhead, certainly isn't eliminating oaths. What Christ is correcting here is the flippant use of oaths, of the um, lawyerly tactic of getting around the law, looking for loopholes, looking for ways to get out of obeying God's law. That's what Jesus is correcting here. Jesus promises the disciples at the end of his ministry, Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. He's making a promise. He's taking a vow. Book of Revelation, God promises us that there will be a place where there's no more tears, where God will wipe away all sorrow. It's a promise. It's a vow. It's an oath. Right before he is betrayed and crucified, Jesus says, I promise you, it's a paraphrase here, I go away to prepare a place for you. It's a promise. It's an oath. And then Jesus, in that same chapter, John 14, promises the Holy Spirit. The promise is made. The promise is kept. Jesus is not forbidding lawful oaths. He's not. We must take lawful oaths at times. We live in a dishonest world. Jesus himself was silent like a lamb before the slaughterhouse during his trials. He took the beatings. He took the slappings. He took the spittings, the kickings, whatever they gave him. He just sat there and didn't say a word. But when the high priest, who was an evil man, but who stood in the good office, when the high priest placed Jesus under oath, that's when Jesus opened his mouth. The high priest said, I adjure you, by the name of the living God, are you the Christ? Tell us now. He was under oath. The high priest had the right to do that. Jesus recognized that authority, even though he was the true high priest. And he said, Yep. I didn't say that. It is as you said. It is as you said. And soon you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. High priest, that's it. Trial's over. We don't need any more witnesses. He spoke in blasphemy. So Jesus is just looking for honesty. He's not telling us not to make promises. He's not telling us to not take vows. He's telling us to keep them. He's telling us not to, not to find a way around them. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Anything more from this is the evil one. Jesus is getting at, and this is what we need to understand, is he wants our lives and our reputations to so reflect him. That when we tell somebody, yes, I will do that, or no, I will not do that, that they just say, it's done. It's done. I don't need it in writing. Your word is your bond. That's what Jesus is after. Because you see, the third commandment isn't just about swearing by God's name verbally. It's about our lives, how we carry ourselves. We tell our children when they go out in public, you'd better not embarrass me. Better not. We're going out to dinner. You're going to sit there and you're going to act like Queen Elizabeth. You're going to speak with a highfalutin English accent and you're not going to say a word. You'll put your napkin on your lap and you will sit straight and you will shut up. 
or else there'll be trouble. Why? Because I don't want to be embarrassed in public. We don't want our name to be besmudged. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Wherever we go as Christians, we take God's name with us. Your unbelieving friends and family know that he's a Christian. She's a Christian. They expect us to act differently. They want us to act differently. They know that they're liars. They're expecting to be lied to. They've been lied to their whole lives. Do you realize what a powerful weapon good old-fashioned honesty is in this world of lies? Just by being a person who keeps your word, you can stand out like that gigantic moon last night. Be massive. You almost seem superhuman. Psalm 15. Who can ascend your holy hill? He who swears to his own hurt. Now that obviously is pointing us to Christ ultimately. But when you say you're going to do something, you don't have the right to then say, you know what? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize the cost of that. And see, it's dishonest, really, for a businessman to sign a contract and then say, you know what? Read done the figures. It's going to cost you a little more. Or I've redone the figures. I'm not going to pay this. Once you strike a deal, you've got to stick by it. Let me tell you something. If you are in business and you say, you know what? I've redone the figures. And I've realized I'm going to take a hit on this one. But because I'm a Christian, I'm oath-bound by what I've said. I'm just letting you know that I'm going to abide by the terms of the agreement. I promise you, if you're doing business with an unbeliever, that tale will get told. That nut actually kept his word and took a little bit of a hit on the transaction. Are we like that? That's what Christ is looking for. He wants our hearts. You can almost picture two Pharisees arguing over a land transaction. Pharisee one says, you know what? This isn't right. You promised, you swore that there is water in this land and it's as dry as Egypt. There's no water here. Pharisee 2 then says, well, you're right, but I swore by the temple. I didn't swear by God's name, so I'm covered. And by the way, who are you to talk? You promised me you'd pay me this amount and you're only paying half. So now Pharisee 1 gets to smile and say, you're right, but... I didn't swear by God's name. I swore on my mother's grave. So I'm covered. I guess we're even. It's not supposed to be that way in God's covenantal house. We must glorify God by our honesty. Go forth and live a life of truthfulness. Go forth and imitate the one who saved you. And it will make a big difference in your world. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are truth itself and we ask that you would help us to let our yes be yes and our no be no in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' precious and holy name, Amen.